Hello, welcome to Multiculturalism Happens Here. I am your host, Isaac Ruelas, and I work with Visions Inc., a nonprofit established in 1984. We are a catalyst for a more equitable world where differences are valued and used for the benefit of all. Our goal is to be a resource to the people that are working hard every day to bring diversity and inclusion into their workplaces, churches, governments, and schools. Believing that the multiculturalism process of change can be a part of your journey in the success of a more equitable and inclusive tomorrow. Welcome. I am your host, Isaac Ruelas. This is episode seven, and I'm excited to have another emerging consultant and fellow with Visions Inc., Jabari Brown, with me today. We start our conversation talking about what it feels like to be an emerging consultant. From there, we move on to the subject of perfectionism and how it impacts us in the way that we see ourselves and our work and our process. We then move from the personal level perfectionism to really looking at perfectionism and liberation at the four levels, the personal, interpersonal, cultural, and institutional. And now let's get into our conversation. Hello. Hello. I'm here with a great friend of mine um, that I really appreciate, admire, and I'm so grateful that I get to learn and grow and work alongside of Jabari. And so Jabari, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about, or a lot of it, about your connection to Visions? Cool. Hello, everybody. My name is Jabari Brown. I'm excited to be here with you uh, on this podcast and to, yeah, just to work alongside you again, as we've done in training before, but to, to be exploring this new context of podcast with Visions, which you're championing. So one of us want to say big kudos for, for starting this off. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And in regards to myself, who am I? My pronouns are he, him, and his. Grew up in Mississippi, but live in New Orleans now, as I have done for the last eight or nine years. And one of the things I've really been appreciating about myself is is this identity of, of being an explorer. And really it speaks to what I consider a very big piece of who I am and what I hope to bring to this vision's work and just my life work in general. How did I get connected to Visions? I used to work at uh, Grow at Youth Farm in New Orleans, was on the founding staff there. And we were a mostly white organization with a lot of us being from New Orleans. And to do the work of growing food in the South, considering the history of plantation agriculture and slavery in the South and Jim Crow and, and segregation and all of that, it was very important to, to talk about and identify how it is we wanted to be in relationship with the history of growing food in the South and also to etch our own path moving forward. And so considering our identities and identities of most of the young folks in the program, we hired Vision staff to come down and lead a training for Grow That. And my director and myself, we slowly began to be trained in the model, start training our staff, and then slowly 
trained nonprofits also in New Orleans and then also high schools and colleges and so on and so forth. So that was pretty much my beginning as a client and now as a as a fellow alongside you and others in this bro here at Visions. Yeah, it's really interesting the journey of a lot of emerging consultants and how we were went through this journey of being clients and learning the model, taking it on, adapting it to our work, and then kind of eventually, I think, really taking on the value of multiculturalism, of pluralism that that visions teaches and kind of stepping into this new phase what's been and this is kind of a a newer question but i'm this is kind of just coming to me right now but what was the scariest and the most exciting part of kind of making this transition into working with visions yeah so the scariest thing for me was and sometimes is literally being in the process and so Visions often talks about process and content as one of his guidelines across culture. And so process, and so content being what it is that we're sharing and process being all the things that surround the what, like timing and when and how that's considered process. So the model itself is it's not just something that I've like picked up and learned it and, and now can lead it for other folks. It's, it's something that I'm that I'm constantly in the process of learning more of and like deepening my understanding and applying it to myself. And so that requires learning and going from knowing to not knowing can the the harm that can be caused to others uh, because of my ignorance is something that is challenging for me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Or the way that I see it is like wanting to be mindful and wanting to be diligent and respectful of the process, recognizing that it's like a pretty big and heavy, sometimes subconscious processes that we're trying to interrupt as well within ourselves mm-hmm. and in these different contexts. And so the feeling of needing to be careful in that mm-hmm. space and wanting to be a good leader or I, I don't like to use the word good or not, but I think mind I like the word mindful, you know, mm-hmm. even though I may or may not know everything, but you can be mindful, which means you're paying attention in the space. And like you're talking about, mm-hmm. I think negative impacts can happen in, in a different way that in these kinds of spaces that has like an, an impact that I would say is bigger or can have more of an effect than in other contexts. Yeah, and you know, I think specifically as a leader of this type of work, it can, and, and just our expectations of folks that are leaders in general is that this person knows all that there is to know about diversity or all there is to know about, you know, science or, or whatever that person's specific field is. And I think that really sets us up a failure at least in, in that an individual that's seen as the model way of doing X as opposed to like, the, the goal, right? The goal being diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we all are on a journey towards diversity, equity, and inclusion in different places. And so I think when I think about it that way, it's like, great, I have some things to offer to this conversation. And so does every other person that I sit in circle with. So it's it then becomes a learning process for everybody to engage in and not a process where I am the person at the front of the class dictating 
what the learning should be for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, on the other hand, I think that is very exciting, too, is to constantly be in the process mm-hmm. of learning. And, you know, particularly Visions being, you know, having the train-to-trainer process in place now where I'm constantly in contact with you and other folks that are learning the model that are on their own walks. And I get to, and again, like that's where it comes from is being in a relationship with other folks. And so that for me is really exciting where I, I don't have to necessarily learn the numbers. It encourages being in a relationship. And the more I'm, I'm in relationship with folks that are different than me, I'm less likely to continue to carry those biases that I've held before particularly when I'm thinking about folks who, who are different than me. Yeah, and I, it's really, it really is like the same coin, I feel that, around the exciting piece, because knowing that I'm in process and that we are never not going to be in that process, it allows mm-hmm. me to have a lot of grace for myself and for other people mm-hmm. around the process. And really, I think in the process for me is of recognizing, understanding, appreciating, and valuing differences, kind of going Mm -hmm. back to to that piece. And that I'm not perfect and that I can always kind of lean on, hey, it's a process. It's not a destination. So I'm never going to show up to this like place where I'm now perfect, perfectly diverse, equity, Mm -hmm. inclusion. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that in itself is a process and will always be a process. Yeah. And, you know, multiple times in peer supervision, we talked before about perfection being, yeah, one of the downfalls of Western thought in that in sports, for example, if sports are competitive, be, there is a winner and a loser. And the goal is to, to win. And so if I'm going to win, I want to win all of the game or, you know, I want to get all A's. And visions allows, to me, really allows for me to have a goal for myself, to work toward that goal. And knowing that if I don't achieve all the things that are a part of my contract, that I can continue to work towards that and create a new contract, that I don't have to be down on myself because I didn't achieve all of the things that I wanted to achieve. You know, and again, I think it really, like you just said, it, 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 how I like to think of it is I want to be patient with myself but not complacent. Mm. And for me, that's a, that's a really big distinction because complacency says to me that, cool, like I don't know all the theories to know about LGBTQ uh, issues and how life is really difficult for folks that have that identity. And it gives me, and patience says that I can learn, right? I can continue to be in relationships. I can read books, I can read podcasts, I can watch different things, I can engage that learning in a different way. And knowing that when I'm in a relationship with someone and I do something that causes them harm or is a miss, that I can rectify their relationship by having a conversation with them. That I don't have to toss out the entire relationship and avoid people that have those identities. That I can create a bridge toward understanding them a little bit more. Yeah, and that that leads me to two other things that we've talked about a little bit in the past and the first one is around perfectionism and and I think about that in relationship to liberation and how we can kind of go through some of the levels and talk about the relationship between liberation and perfectionism yeah yeah the thing that's sitting sitting for me right now is like this idea of liberation and (laughs) 
um, and perfection in tandem with with, with liberation mm-hmm. because I think the time for liberation is now. And now being whenever it is that I come into the awareness that I hold privilege that other folks don't hold or I am denied a privilege that other folks do have. So whenever I come into that awareness, then is the time for liberation. Literally asking the question, what is, what is it that you need to be whole? You know, how, what is it that you need? Yeah, liber- I mean, and we were talking about liberation at a couple different levels. The institutional level yeah. would be around providing food, education, healthcare to all, right? And then the personal liberation, I think maybe is getting away from from judging ourselves through this um, perfectionist lens that that is kind of a setup as if you're a person of color or if you're a woman or a person that's outside of the dominant group. Um, right. Because perfectionism is set up to be like, you know, in a white supremacist patriarchal society, perfectionism looks like a white man. And so as, let's say, a queer Latinx person, I could never be that perfection. So at the personal level, I'm setting myself up to kind of not believe that I'm ever qualified to be great. And and I and wonder... Like, go for yeah. it. No, I was just about to say that I think that's a really cool way to think about liberation at those four levels. So I'd, I'd be willing to think about think about it at those four levels. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting because one of the things that actually came to me as as you were talking was like how, what does it, what does liberation mean to the person who doesn't have food in their refrigerator? Like, Mm -hmm. and we can go down the, the four levels. And I wonder, because we talk about this, like that the other side needs, has work to do as well. Right. And so I wonder what does yeah. liberation look like for the person who has, you know, two refrigerators that are always jam packed. Yeah. And how they're, they're connected. Mm-hmm. Like there's a connection mm-hmm. there and, and they're different. But if, what does liberation mean? Like, would they be able to, to understand or see that their liberation has to do with the fact that they have too much food? And that they have too much resources, and that liberation would look like having less. And at the interpersonal level, the liberation would be that you can connect with with these people because you don't have to be guilty, maybe. Or a lot of people aren't even guilty actually that that they have an excess of resources. Mm-hmm. Um, but how that liberation would look at the interpersonal level and and then at the institutional, and then really at the cultural level, which would be crazy um, for these people. Right. I think when we're talking about access and resources, at least here in the United States, we are talking about a certain group of people that historically have had those things and that are still today, you know, the people that hold hold the power. Yeah. So so when I, when I think about liberation, like the personal level, it requires me to come into some awareness of my position in my position within the context of the society and the communities that I live in. Mm-hmm. And based on my identity, just being born, I have some identities where I gain more privilege and then some identities where I don't. 
where I don't have access to the same privileges as other folks. And as soon as that switch comes on, when I'm aware that I have something that someone else doesn't, or that somebody has something that I don't have, just as a as a human principle, just by virtue of being human, mm-hmm. like to me, that's what liberation looks like. And so I've been on this journey of, you know, since being with Visions and, and even before, of like this journey of, of liberation, like this continued awareness of who I am, uh, what I have access to and what I don't have access to. That's what liberation at the personal level looks like to me inside of my own mm-hmm. self. Mm-hmm. And then interpersonally, what does it look like for me to be uh, liberated? Yeah, in the, in the space that I live in and for me, I think that it looks like me seeing seeing the next person as different from me and not giving value to that difference, a uh, better than or less than. Because it, it, the notion is not that I don't see people that are different from me or all people are the same. It's that I acknowledge that you're different from me. You have different needs, and that doesn't create a barrier. I don't think you're better than me or less than. You are just another person who happens to be different from me. Mm-hmm. To me, that's what it looks like on the interpersonal level. And at the institutional level, I think what it what it looks like for me, liberation is to, or maybe I do the cultural level first. So culturally, it looks like the unwritten rules of society that like govern like my community. It looks like you know little boys and girls are given the same access to resources, you know, in regards to college sports, for example, you know, and professional sports, that women's sports are given the same Mm -hmm. prestige, the same uh, glitz and glamour and money important to women's basketball as it is uh, men's basketball. So at the cultural level, it looks like to me that there are more options when I think about liberation. Not that I have to choose an either or, but that I can choose to be and exist in in many different ways. So it looks like sourcing like me at the culture level. Mm-hmm. And then when I think about the, the institutional level, it looks like people that are in the community are making decisions for that community. And so if we're thinking about this at a, on a really small level, community can be family, right? Like my, my parents and siblings that I have. Community can be my neighborhood. Community can be my state. Community can be my country. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about the laws that govern those different entities, who are the people that are making decisions that are going to impact uh, uh, everyone, you know, everybody yeah. in my house and so on and so forth? Is it just you know, me as the man of the house that's like making those decisions or am I making those decisions in relationship with folks that, that live in my house? Or are or or is it just, you know, white men who are making these decisions in regards to the courts and, and redlining? Or is it all the folks in the in the community? And so that that to me is, is, is liberation at the institutional level because if we all have to abide by the laws then I think that should be some accountability for all of us for creating the laws yeah. in some way, form, or fashion. I was just reading about this, I forget the country in Africa, where when they are amending the Constitution, they call 800 people 
from this country of about 3 million people to like the town square, essentially, or the capital. Mm -hmm. And these 800 people get together and they make decisions to men laws, new laws, old laws. And once they're done, like, that's it. And to me, that looks like liberation because it is various folks from various walks of life, different regions, different, you know, dialects and language even at times that are making decisions that, that govern a community, mm -hmm. right? So they are taking part in shaping the society and the institutions that they live in. So to me, that's what liberation looks like at the, at the four levels. Yeah. And I even think of like at the cultural level for this, this nation, what are the cultural norms that support that kind of institutions, right? And I think of like mm -hmm. the kind of cultural norms that we have here in the United States that would not support that kind of institutional liberation. And for, I went back to that perfectionism and how there needs to be, you know, an exact way, an exact protocol, an exact law, an exact, 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 exact. And then we can, you know, do these other things. But how, how in this other country, the cultural norms that I'm assuming are are not going to be perfectionism because those are Western allows mm. for I mean, a I different kind of institution to exist and support, which is cool. And I that's what I keep thinking about, like how the at the cultural level, even just something like perfectionism is such a barrier for creating change at those other levels. Yeah, and you know I think one of the things that like liberation as opposed to perfection, like when I think about those two words, like. For me, liberation is something that is ongoing. Like, it is not something that I achieve mm -hmm. and check it off my list. It is something that I'm continuously in the process of doing because I have to understand ways in which I've been held back and ways in which I hold privilege that some folks don't. Mm -hmm. and, then, and when I think about perfection in general, it means to me that I could not have done better I've crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's. I've checked my box. Now I can go do this other thing, right? Mm -hmm. Totally different relationship. Yeah. Totally different relationship those words have for me. And so one is seemingly life-giving, and one is a, a check box. You know, it, it seems to have a dead end perfection of. Well, I really enjoyed getting to have this conversation, and we made it a little bit more free-flowy, I think, than maybe we originally planned. Is that something mm -hmm. that is okay with you? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. We didn't follow the structure as we discussed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I feel like we tried to touch on the subjects that we, we talked about. And I like that we were able to kind of incorporate the different pieces into the conversation of the social location and liberation at the four levels and i appreciate you for having this conversation with me i'm excited for us to continue the conversation it's going to look a little bit different but we'll be able to record a couple more podcasts you think jabari sure thing yes sure thing sure thing and and very like therein lies the you know this qualm that i have with perfection it's like oh we didn't do everything like we were supposed to like now we got to do it over. Like no, like we like we were part of a process who didn't follow it to the T. And 
feel like we have very meaningful conversations that, and it's and it's okay to go outside of the script sometimes. Yeah, yeah, because you know, and it's so funny that we're gonna kind of full circle it with this perfectionism thing. But I feel the same way, and that's why I'm like, oh man, we did. It. I'm like, we did it go in the order we mm-hmm, have talked mm-hmm. about. And at the personal level, right, I was I'm feeling it. And then I'm grateful that at the interpersonal level, we have a relationship where we can have this conversation. And I think that that's one of the things that we do really well at Vision on the podcast and even in live during trainings and consults is the ways that we negotiate and that we can negotiate live and in front of people. And that's such a, a beautiful strength that we have and to model it I think is great because I think with perfectionism that's one of the things that it doesn't allow for all the time at the interpersonal level is for the negotiating to happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's kind of like the water of relationship you know it's a quality it's a quantity Perfection to me can feel like a, a quantitative experience where vision and liberation as I think about it is about quality, yeah. you know. And that's a that's a very big noticeable difference. Even in, you know, workplace culture, you're thinking about how visions operate as you were just defined. It is not a cultural perfection of having to be perfect, but rather being in the process and continuing to learn about myself and, and the world around me. And I think that that's a great place to wrap up this podcast. Thank you, Jabari, once again. We'll be hearing from you, if not in this next podcast, and a couple other podcasts to come. And I'm so grateful for you spending this time here with me. You're out in New Orleans. I'm in Los Angeles. Vision's headquarters is in Boston. I mean... You know, find, find oppression everywhere. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the East Coast, the West Coast, and the Gulf Coast. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> cool. But it was a pleasure, and I uh, look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Multiculturalism Happens Here. If you found this helpful or resourceful, Give us a like, subscribe, a comment, or a share. Consider giving to Visions. Visit our website for more information at www.visions-inc.org. If you're interested in joining any of our workshops, trainings, or youth summits, you can find more information and registration on Eventbrite. And if you're interested in having us come to you, contact us for more information. I am Isaac Ruelas, wishing you a brand new day and a better way. Peace.